Hey, New Life family, welcome to the weekly podcast. We want to take a moment to say thank you so much for listening. We hope this message encourages you and helps you in some way today move forward in your relationship with Christ and others. We pray God blesses you wherever you are today. Now enjoy the message. For those that don't know, first of all, you can turn into your Bibles or your Bible apps. Most people have their Bible apps on their phone. Flip open that because it'll, the, the, Scriptures will always be on the thing, on the screen up here, but I, I don't know. I, I just think it's important in our day and age that you don't just only see the Word of God on the screen at the church. I think it's very important as people that we see it, whether you have a physical Bible or just a Bible app. I think it's important that you see it in the device where you have it. So flip open to Judges chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 11 through 18. And I'm just going to let you know up front, we're not going to get through all this. But for those that don't, either you don't know or you just don't follow or maybe you just have just never, uh, it's just never been a part of your thing. Last Sunday evening into Monday evening and even, even in because of the speciality of, of the Jewish customs and Jewish uh, festivals that was going on, they had what is one what is known as Rosh Hashanah, which is like their New Year. It it simply means head of year, and so that's why it's like their New Year. <clears throat> because the Jewish people are God's chosen people, and they have been ever ever since Abraham. It is important that whether it be Old Testament or even New Testament, that we have an idea of what is happening, not that we as Gentiles have to recreate the feast. We certainly don't have to be a part of them. We certainly don't have to structure our, our lives as a, as a Hebrew person or a Jewish person because once Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, he broke all of those customs. And Paul does a great job in the, in the epistles of telling us, you don't have to conform to those Jewish customs just to be a Christian. It's about Jesus and his blood. However, as the older I get and the more I, I gain knowledge of just who God is and just try to scratch the surface of of just trying to know God, I have become, uh, it has come to my understanding that it is important as Christians to know what is happening in the Jewish culture and why it's happening. And so because they just crossed over into their New Year's, they would have had a big New Year's festival, New Year's party, similar to how we do it, only theirs is much longer and they, they just have all kinds of food, all kinds of just parties and things of that nature. And it's always geared towards God. But so as we are transitioning here in this new month, which is now leading us into the last quarter of this year, and we are preparing for 2023, the Jewish people just crossed over into a new year, and theirs is 5783. And the reason I'm telling you this is because over the next few weeks, I'm going to uh, just in little snippets because it would be too much like a like a class if I did it all at once, and I certainly don't want to do that. But I want to break apart and break down what some of those 
what some of that means uh, when, when you talk about the three. Tanner, just quickly put up that slide I, I give you with the Hebrew letters on it. Um, the three over here, because they always read from, from this direction over, and so the three is what is known as, known as a gamel. So their letters actually are their numbers as well. And, and if you really dig into it, it represents pictures. So it, it represents three things. If you knew how to speak uh, Hebrew and if you knew how to read Hebrew, when you would see uh, one of their symbols, you would know it's, it as a letter, you would know it as a number, and you would also be able to see it in pictorial form because it always represents something. And so because they crossed over into their new year, which is 5783, just like we are going to be crossing over into our new year in three months, which is 2023, for the next decade, we are, we are uh, simultaneously flowing in the same thing. And it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of the upheaval that is happening. Uh, a lot of Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. A few weeks ago, I listed to you about seven different things that you can specifically read about in Scripture that was currently happening. In fact, last week, I want to say it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember which day it was that I was doing some reading and some studying. And there was four Bible prophecies that happened within the last hundred hours. So from, I think it was Wednesday. So from Wednesday on, if you counted back a hundred hours, there was four major Bible prophecies that came to fruition. And it is, it is imperative that we know these things because Jesus himself tells us that when you begin to see these things come about... When you begin to hear about these things, when you begin to hear about all the chaos, you see all the chaos, you hear about the wars, you hear about all the upheavals, you hear about all the pestilence, all these things. He, he uh, is telling his, his disciples right then and there and his followers right then and there, but it, he was speaking it prophetically for the, for the Christians who would be in our day and age. And he says, don't allow fear to grip your heart, but uh, understand that that has to happen in order to bring him back to earth, what we would call the rapture of the church. Now, I know in Christian culture, if you've been around church or if you've known about church for any time, there is this thought of, oh, my parents thought it would happen. My grandparents thought it would happen. Their great-grandparents thought it would happen. So because it hasn't happened in those generations, then that must mean God is a liar and it's not necessarily going to happen. And God actually said in his word that that would come to pass as well. That there would be people that would have heard about him so much that they would begin to, uh, they would begin to uh, shut off their hearing. Now, we don't use words like that about shutting off our hearing, but you know what we do use? We use words in our culture, and maybe some of you have heard this, that you hear people say stuff like this. 
I used to be a Christian or I used to be devoted to God. I used to go to church all the time or there was always a used to and then they fill in the blank that has some kind of religious duty that's kind of attached to it. But then here's what they say. But I am deconstructing my faith now. I am in the process of deconstructing my faith. You know what that means? It means I have been swallowed a lie to say that God's word is not infallible and what he said is not going to happen. So therefore, I have to reorient my life to what I believe I know is best. And you see that happening all over the globe, not just in the United States. And so because of the pivotal time of year, it is imperative that we as Christians uh, make sure when you are talking to the Lord that you specifically ask the Lord, one, God, don't let my heart be deceived. And two, God, awaken me to have eyes to see and have ears to hear what is really happening. One of the things, and, and again, I don't have time to go into all of it, but this gamel, one of the things, it, rep, it represents many things, but one of the things it represents is, is it, it has the root word from the Jewish name Gideon. And several months ago, and, and I actually spoke about this, a couple of months ago, I was out and I was just walking. And when I walk, I pray. So when I was walking, I was just, I was just doing my mile walk and I was just praying. And I wasn't necessarily praying about anything specific. I was just kind of praying in general, you know, just praying God's blessings, praying for family members, things of that nature. And I just kind of stopped and I took, I took a drink of water. And as I started back in, the Holy Spirit spoke two specific things to me. One I'm not going to address because it's not for right now. But the other thing, he, he spoke into my life. And I tell you this, I was praying into some of the things that had been prophesied. Remember I kind of told you this, that the dream that the church was going to be full, and it wasn't just going to be full. There was two specific uh, identities of the church being full. One was that it had many nationalities sitting in the in the chairs. That was that was one of the identities of the church. And the second identity is was it was full of children and teenagers and kind of more young adults. So it had more young than older. And so that tells me that there is a time of transition that is happening. For that to take place, there has to be a transition that happens. And then we had a prophetess come in here, and she, one of my mentors, and she spoke. She doesn't, I don't speak to her about things of the church. We just talk one-on-one -on -one about, about my personal uh, just stuff. And so when she came in, if you will remember, one of the things she said is at the end of her sermon, she was wrapping it up, and she just said, man, I hear the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord is I'm going to raise up out of this place a generation of young teenagers, of young adults that's going to carry my word. It's gonna, they're going to be on fire. They're going to have the spirit of revival. She didn't know nothing about what we have been praying about. Those are the exact words that we have been praying, that God would give us the spirit of revival to do and, and a burning heart. And then I told you about a conversation that I had when I was clear out in Phoenix. 
didn't know nothing about nothing. We're sitting there, we're just enjoying a steak, and we just happen to be talking about the things of God in a general fashion. And one of my friends, man, you just feel the holy presence right there in the booth, and all of a sudden she's like, Pastor Amika, I don't know what is going on, but I feel the presence of the Lord, and he is telling me that out of your church is going to rise some young people that's going to carry the fire of God. She don't know nothing about our church. So within about a month span, we had three distinct different people all saying the same thing about the church you attend right now. And so I was leaning into those prophecies. I was praying into those prophecies. And I heard the word of the Lord when I was out on the walk. And this is what he said to me, pray for the spirit of Gideon. And I was like, God, what in the world does that mean? I don't, I know who Gideon is. I've read about him. You know, I, I haven't even really preached that much about him, but I know who he is. He was a God of, or he was a judge of Israel. And there were certain things that happened and it was, it's a cool thing. He had the cool factor to him, but what are you talking about? And so I started leaning into that. I started studying about who Gideon was and what is God saying about the spirit of Gideon. And then as I just kind of dropped that for just a few weeks and I started leaning into more of the new year for the Jewish new year and as I was studying oh he took it down but as, as he was as I began to study what the gamel mean is which is the number three which we've already transitioned and it's the root word that is the same root word for the Hebrew name of Gideon and I said God is starting to make a little bit of sense to me now that you are you are speaking and you're wanting people to hear so that your plan can come to fruition. God can prophesy all he wants through willing vessels. But if he doesn't have willing vessels to align themselves up to the prophecy, the prophecy will lay dormant. We in America have this false idea that God is going to do whatever he wants to do no matter what. There are some instances where he will do that when you're talking about the end of the age in the book of Revelation. There are some things that you can pray till you're blue in the face and it's not going to change it because God has already said it. He already wrote it down and it's going to happen just like he said it's going to happen. But the other 85% he has chosen to... Uh, couple with humanity with with sons and daughters to bring about his will and somewhere along the line in the american church we have falsely thought that god is just going to come in and he's going to bring this wave of revival and people are not going to have a choice and he's just going to do what he's going to do and then and then people are going to just accept it and that's going to be how it is and we as the church don't have to pray we don't have to fast we don't have to know scripture we don't have to know his voice are y'all with me but i'm telling you god can use a willing vessel to prophesy all he wants but if he also doesn't have a willing vessel to grab a hold of that prophecy and align their life up so that the prophecy can come forth through you, then it will just lay dormant. So here's what it says in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 11. And I'm going to read, read the entire text, and then I'm going to just give you as much as I feel like you can handle, and then we'll go eat some barbecue. <laughs> it says this 
the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in the in Orath that belonged to Joash, the Azeberite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Hear that. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's Gideon's response. Pardon me, Lord? In other words, what'd you say? Who are you talking to? Look, that's what Gideon replied. And here you can tell by his response that he's been pondering this for a while. Have you ever asked somebody a question and their answer was so quick, you know that they didn't just come up with that answer right then and there? That they've been stewing on that one for a while. You just, you just happenstancely come up, hey, how are you doing today? And the response you got, you knew that it wasn't just coming off the top of their head. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you how it is. You know, uh-oh, they done have this conversation 12 times in their head. That's kind of what's happening with Gideon. He comes up with the response so quickly, and, and the response tells me that he's already had this mold over in his spirit. Look what he says. So the angel of the Lord addresses him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Oh, if this is not us today. God, if you are who you say you are, why is all of this happening? God, if you say we are your people, why are we being ran over by the Midianites and the Amalekites? Why are we hiding? Why every time we grow some crops, our enemies come in and steal everything we have? If you are God, why am I feeling how I'm feeling? If you are God, why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing? If you are God, why did my parents get divorced? If you really are God, why did this person abandon me? If you really are God, why do I have to go through all this stuff and nobody else in my family or friend's circle has to go? God, if you say you are God, that's his response. Why am I the one that is dealing with illness? Why am I the one that's dealing with heartache? Why am I the one that's dealing with defeat? Why am I the one? That's what Gideon is saying. If you are God and we are your people, then why has all this happened? Look what else he says. He's asking God all these accusatory questions. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, the, whoo, this is some strong stuff. Look what he says. Why has the Lord abandoned us? And given us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, 
first of all, I want you to note the beginning of the scripture called it the angel of the Lord. And now, after all these accusations, it says, now the Lord turned to him. <laughs> the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Here's Gideon again. Pardon me, my Lord. What are you saying? But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Look at this. And the Lord said, I will wait for you. I want you to picture that because sometimes we slide right off the page. The Lord is talking to this gentleman, this young man that has just had this laundry list of accusatory questions about if you are who you say you are, God, why have we been going through this? Understand this. He is a part of a generation that has heard about God but has not seen God. He is part of a generation who has ancestry that has told him, oh, if you would have been back in my day, you would have seen God part the Red Sea and we walked across on dry ground. Oh, Gideon, if you could have been when I was growing up, you would have seen Moses uh, raise up his staff and everything was, was going in, in victory. But when he would lower his staff, then we would be defeated. And so all he had to do was raise his staff and the hand of the Lord would give us strength and we would defeat every enemy. Oh, Gideon, if you could have seen it, that while we was wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, our clothes never wore out. We never had to work a day in our life, but we always had enough bread. We always had enough quail. Our shoes never got worn out. We didn't get sick, not one day for 40 years. And Gideon has heard signs and wonders and miracles, and he has heard about Jehovah God of the past. But he is part of a generation that has heard about all of this but has seen none of it. In other words, he is hearing about from his parents or his grandparents, maybe aunts and uncles, maybe pastors. He's heard about it. God has done this, this, and this. Meanwhile, let me see, let me see. He's being ran over. He and his people are being ran over by people called the Midianites and the Amalekites. He's hiding out in a wine press. If you don't know what that is in biblical times, to get a picture in your mind, you can Google it later. But it's literally this in this stone-like platform and they would probably probably about as big in circumference as this circle if it went all the way around 
And what it, what it was is, is you would step down into it. So you would be up here on the rock, but then you would step down into it, probably several more steps. And then in the middle of that, they would have another smaller circle. And what would happen is they would just throw all the grapes. As they were picking the grapes off the vine, they would come and they would throw all the grapes in here. And then they would smash them out with their feet. And what would happen is then the grape juice of the smashing process would run into the smaller vat, if you will. But it's big enough that you could get down in there. So it would come up to, you know, probably six foot high. So you would be down in there, and then it would be up here would be all the physical grapes, and this would where the juice would be. The Midianites and the Malachites had come together. They didn't even like each other. The Amalekites did not like the Midianites, and the Midianites did not like the Mal Amalekites, and they only had one thing in common. They both hated the Israelites. Sometimes you battle things not because the person necessarily hates you, but they hate the God you serve. Have you ever, have you know, have y'all been paying attention that groups of people in the last couple of years that never hung out, and when I say groups, I'm not necessarily talking about people groups you know. I'm talking about when you hear about what is happening across America. Groups that never would ever talk to one another are now finding alliances with one another. <laughs> Not because they like each other, but they only have one thing in common, and that is we must destroy Christianity. I'm willing... I'm willing to put up with you if you're willing to put up with me if you and I can come together and get rid of him. Right. That's what they're doing. Have y'all noticed that? Different people pitting different people apart. Different groups are making alliances, if you will, for the sake of destroying God or for the sake of destroying Christianity. Yeah. For the sake of destroying the name of Jesus. To demean everything that is righteous and holy. And Gideon is a part of this kind of culture. And so they, what they did is because they weren't obedient to God, God allowed them to be overran by the Amalekites and the Midianites. And for Seven, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was for seven years, they would try to gain a harvest and they would come in just as the harvest was coming to uh, fruition, just as the fruit was coming ripe on the vine. They would come in just shy of that and they would take it all for themselves, leaving the Israelites nothing, which produced great famine where they were at. So now you have a man, a young man, who has heard about God, has heard about the miracles of God, has heard about the great and wondrous things that he has done in the past, but he has not seen it and he has not experienced it. In fact, he's experienced just the opposite, that it feels like God has abandoned us. 
and it feels like God doesn't care about us. And it feels like every time I get something going in life, the enemy comes in and steals it and rips it all away. So because this has happened in cycles now, year after year after year, and now we're working on year seven going into year eight of this happening for Gideon. What he has learned is if I'm going to get anything substantial to eat from the wheat, he would gather the wheat up prior, and he would go down into the wine press because it's empty, and he would go down into the circular part where there's supposed to be the actual wine, and he would have the wheat in his hand, and he would be threshing it. Because that's how you do it. You take the stalk of wheat. Normally, you're supposed to be out in the open, maybe even more toward a mountaintop, so that when you do this and you bring it down or you bring an oxen over, the wind that is blowing does the majority of the work for you. <laughs> so all he would have to do is this one time. And the, it would, that, that pressure or that hitting would break the chaff off of the wheat stalk. And then the wind would come along and it would go whoosh. And it would, it would separate the chaff from the stalk or it would separate the chaff from what is called the fruit of the grain. Because you can't use all of the wheat. There's only a small part in there that you use to make bread. And if you try to use the whole thing, you'll get something that is, is toxic to your body. You can't use it. And so normally how it's happened is you would do this, and then the wind would come along and break the chaff off, and the, the fruit of the grain would fall to the ground, and then you would collect it, and you would have enough wheat to do whatever it is you're going to be baking. But the enemy, he knows he can't do that because he has learned I have heard about God Jehovah, but I haven't seen him. I have heard about healings, but I haven't experienced it. I have heard about deliverance, but I'm in bondage. I have heard about how God has redeemed, but I'm getting everything stolen from me. I have heard about how God is going to deliver his people. But every time I lift my head up, all I see is the enemy coming in and destroying my people. That is all he has seen from year one to year two. And now we're in year seven. And he is starting to doubt, does this God really exist? Are y'all seeing a correlation with our culture? And there has been... We have went so long without the moving of the Spirit called the wind of God that now we have people carrying around things that they never should be carrying around. And Gideon has learned, if I can get just enough for me, just enough for my family, I can go into the wine press and I can thresh it out. The only problem is with this is two things. First of all, there's no wind in the wine press because now you have a rock wall that's at least six foot high all the way around you. 
So now he is self-protecting. Now he is self-coping. I've tried that God thing. It doesn't work. So now let me try this. And you fill in the blank. Because I could literally spend two hours filling in the blank of what we Americans have used to self-cope. Because we have not experienced, and when I say we, I'm not talking about as an individual. I'm talking about as the body of Christ. We have not experienced the wind of the moving of the Spirit of God. And so people are taking what they can get just to sustain themselves. Just so I don't lose my mind. I need this. I got to have this. And now we're carrying around things that are toxic to us. So he goes down into this wine press. So now he's built this fortified thing. And he's threshing the wheat. And because there's no wind to help him, now he himself is having to do it all. And he was never equipped to do it all. He was only equipped to have the strength to do it once. And then the wind would do the rest. Are y'all following me? And so now we have a generation of Christians because we have not cultivated the moving of revival and the moving of the Spirit of God and we have great programs and we have great buildings and we have great facilities and we can knock it out of the park when it comes to entertainment and when it comes to music and when it comes to all these other things. We can knock it out of the park but there's no moving of the Spirit of God. And so we have a whole generation of Christians now that have heard about the healing tents that happened back in the 30s, that heard about the Azusa Street revivals where all different kinds of uh, uh, denominations and all different kinds of ethnic people came together and they put aside all of that things and they were brothers and sisters in Christ and people were being delivered. People were being saved. They've heard testimonies about it. They read books about it. They sing songs about it. They even read scripture about it. But they have not yet experienced it. And so now, Christians are threshing the wheat. Threshing the wheat. Threshing the wheat. Why? I'm just trying to get some bread. Threshing the wheat. Threshing the wheat. And before you know it, just to get a little bit of grain to sustain him and his family, he is worn out. He is mentally drained. He is physically drained. Now when he comes home to his family, he's emotionally drained. So when the enemy comes back again, and they know he will, there is no strength to ward him off. Because all they have is a testimony of what God did. Y'all are quiet in here today. 
The second thing about him being in the wine press is this. It was indicative that the fact that he was there threshing wheat meant there was no wine. In Scripture, the wind of the Spirit always represents the breath of God. It always represents the very presence of God. But wine in the Spirit is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus told the parable about, do you put old wine into a new wineskin? You can't do that, else the old wineskin will break and the new wine will burst out and be ruined. It's always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that he's just down there tells me that there's no wine. You don't have a move of God. You don't have the presence of God. And now you don't have the wine of God, the comfort of God, the peace of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the sad thing about the whole thing is this, is he was able to sustain himself by doing that. You know why? Because even the enemy knew I'm not even going to bother checking in there because there's no wine. The enemy had pilgrimed the Israelites, which is symbolic of the church, for so many years and so many cycles that the enemy didn't even think because you would have had to walk over there and look down to see it. If you would have just gazed up, it was down so far into the rock, you couldn't have seen it. So they didn't even bother going over to look in because they knew by the circumstances that the Israelites had no wine. Could it be that the enemy has now pummeled us so long over the last however many years, not us as an individual, but us as the church, that he don't even have to bother anymore because he knows there's no wine. And here's the amazing thing, though, about it. That's the sad part of the situation. The good news to the situation is in the most chaotic time, in the most chaotic season, when Gideon's faith was as low as it probably could get. Here it says, and the angel of the Lord shows up. And it says, if you read a different version than what we read, it says, and he got down in and sat in the wine. It means Gideon is down there. Oh, I just got a, a little bit more and I'll have enough bread for me. A little bit more and I'll have enough. And it says, at some point, the presence of the Lord, the angel of the Lord comes and sits right down in there. He's still working. He's still sweating. He's still, but he ain't alone. I'm here to tell you, I don't know what's going on chaotic in your life, but the Lord is saying you're not alone. You may feel like you have walls all the way around you 
and you've been working your finger to the bone just to survive. But God says you're not alone. Somebody is down in there with you. You haven't heard him yet, and you haven't seen him yet, but he is in the vat with you. Whoo, I sense the Holy Spirit. He is right there with you. I was listening. I'll get back to that because I'm going to try to wrap it up. I was listening to a testimony. I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I always mess it up. Maybe, Lacey, you can help me with that. His name's Sean. He does all the open worship, the guy with the longer hair. And he always goes out and does, and he's been doing it ever since COVID hit. I heard a testimony that he was speaking about. Whether you like him, whether you don't, whether you agree with him, whether you don't, the testimony is incredible. And that is this. He was sharing his testimony back in 2020 when, when they were, when they were putting a band on uh, churches and they were saying, you know, you can't come to church. And then they went further than that. And they were saying in some of this, they, they never did it here in Kansas City, but they were saying stuff like, now we don't even want you to sing. Don't even sing in church. It, it's, it's okay if you read the scripture or pray, but we don't want you singing. And he said, something just grabbed, this would have been July of 2020. He said, he said, my spirit just, something grabbed my spirit. And he's like, well, if we can't sing in the building, we're going to sing outside the building. And he didn't know who was going to show up and if anybody would show up. But he just sent out a message and said, hey, we're going to be at the Golden Gate Bridge and we're just going to worship. It's not going to be formal. It's not going to be fancy. I'm going to bring my acoustic guitar and we're just going to be outside and we're going to worship at the Golden Gate Bridge. He said he shows up there with his little core group that, that was helping him. And he said he looked around and there was hundreds of people that had showed up to the place that they got several officers and they came up and they was like, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing here? And they had it like barricaded off like you couldn't actually physically go on to the Golden Gate Bridge. He's like, he's like, whoa, what are you doing here? He's like, he's like, oh, and he introduced himself and he's like, I'm a Christian. I'm, in fact, I'm a worship leader and we just came here to sing. We just came here to worship God out in the open. That's all. And he was like, he's, and he asked, he's like, why is this barricaded off? He said, we've had to barricade this off a depression has hit over this part of California so much that we can't keep the people off from committing suicide. So the only way to stop them from using this iconic place as, as a, a place of suicide is we've had to barricade it off and we only allow it open certain times for tra traffic to flow through. He, Sean said his heart just dropped and he's like, well, we're not here for that. We're just here to worship God and sing to God. He said the officer looked him square in the eye when he said, we're just part of the church and we just want to worship. He said this. He said, what took you so long to get here? Wow. Listen, there are people out in this world that they have gotten caught up in the swirl of all the chaos that's going on in our, in our last two and a half, almost three years now. They didn't want it. They might have philosophies about it. They might have opinions about it. But I believe for the most part have just gotten caught up in the swirl. And they're just waiting for the church 
to show up. They're just waiting for you and I. They're not waiting for a mega church to show up. They're waiting for the church to show up. They're not waiting for the newest program so that they can fill up their... They're waiting for the church to show up. For the sake of time, I want you to understand this, that when the angel of the Lord, it really was the presence of God that showed up in there. He looked, look, Gideon was down there because Gideon only seen himself as a farmer. He was threshing wheat. He only seen himself as a farmer. He seen himself as a defeated farmer. He seen himself as an unsuccessful farmer. But that's all he seen him as. But I read to you the scripture that when the presence of the Lord showed up in the vat and he's He's doubting, he's fearful, he's overwhelmed, he is tired, he don't know what is happening, he don't know what's going to happen next. He don't know if he's going to get to keep the spoils of the work that he just done. He don't know. He's just being faithful to what he thought he was, which was a farmer. But the Spirit of the Lord shows up and looks at him and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. If you read in another translation, that's the King James Version. If you read in another translation, you know what he was saying? You know what he called him? He said, oh, you mighty warrior. That's why Gideon said, what? Gideon. Who are you calling warrior? And then he tried, like we all do, he tried to bring evidence about who he was. You don't understand. I am a part of the worst clan of the... In other words, we have 12 tribes of my people. We the 12th tribe. We have 11 other tribes above us. Not only that, not only am I in the 12th tribe out of 12 tribes, I am the least in my family. I'm the youngest, I'm the least. That's why I don't even want to be around when the enemy comes. I am so afraid of him, I would rather be down here in this little walled circular pattern than to be out there and having to face that thing again. My heart is full of fear. My mind is full of confusion. I only know about a God that used to deliver. But the presence of the Lord shows up in the midst of chaos, in the midst of turmoil, and the presence of the Lord starts calling things that you don't even know about yourself. I can remember... When the Lord first called me, I can remember, I told this to Tim and a couple other really close friends, I can remember things that I would hear from the Lord before I ever even knew a scripture. 
I remember getting dreams from God, and I would wake up and I would tell my mom these dreams, and she'd be, she'd be like, I don't know what you you need to stop eating, because you're eating too late, and them dreams are crazy. Do I still not have crazy dreams? Only now I have learned. Listen, I knew God's voice long before I could ever quote a scripture. Jesus himself said, my sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. It doesn't mean that they won't wander off. It means I have programmed in their DNA to know my voice. There are some that know a lot of scripture, but they don't know his voice. They can quote you a whole chapter of the book of, they can quote you half of the Psalms, but they don't know his voice. There's another scripture that says, in fact, put it up real quick so I don't misquote it, the Jeremiah scripture. Look what it says in Jeremiah. Now, this is speaking specifically about Jeremiah when he was in his mother's womb, but this can be taken uh, generically for all. Look, I knew you. This is God talking to him, talking to him when he is grown now a little bit, and he's saying, Jeremiah, I knew you before. Everybody say before. I knew you was I knew who you were before you was even formed. So that you can understand this in about 2 weeks or 2 minutes. <laughs> we are about to meet another little person. Now they've already named him Jet. We know he's in there because we see the evidence of him in there. But we don't know him. His own mom has named him, has picked out clothes for him, has a little bed for him, has his little diapers ready. She has felt him, but she don't know him. She's going to have to wait at least two more minutes, hopefully two more weeks. God says before it even gets to that, I knew who you were. Before you were formed, I knew you. That's how I knew how to form you. That's how I knew how to put in your little spirit and soul when everybody else was just calling you a clump of cells. I already infused you. Because I knew you before you was ever had legs and eyes and hair and had a personality. I knew you. Are y'all following me? Even Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, I believe it is, it says the mystery of the will of God being known to us. That's why a lot of this stuff, Lord, help me, Jesus. Let me say a couple more things, and we will dismiss. That's why a lot of the stuff that's going around now is straight demonic. It's just straight, like there's no other way to try to codify it other than it is straight 
demonic from the lips of Satan himself. Some things are sin because they're immoral. Some things happen because people force and were tempted and were carnal by Some things are just inspired and birthed out of hell. And some of the stuff that's going around now is nothing less than a demonic idea. And the reason for it is this. I'm about to tell you the reason. The reason for it, so that you don't get mad at people, so that you don't get mad at the news, so that you don't get mad at doctors, so that you don't start forming little tribes and coming against something. If you understand the truth, then you know how to handle the truth and you know how to cope with the truth. Here's the truth of why. Because God says, before I knew you, or before you were formed, I knew you. Before you were formed, Ella, he knew you when you were just little. And he put in your DNA everything that you would need. Everything. And he knew we would go through chaotic situations. He knew the people would come against. He knew Gideon was going to face years and years and years of being ran over by the enemy. Gideon only seen himself as an unsuccessful farmer. But when God shows up, who knew him before all that, he said, oh, great warrior. How do I know it's demonic, some of this stuff going around? Because the very core of the being is to get the person so confused that they themselves start speaking against what God says before you was even here in your mother's womb. I knew you. I knew who you were. Before you was ever a teenager, I knew you. Before you ever start liking who you like, I knew you. And the enemy is so afraid of a Gideon army rising out of this generation. Hold on to your hats. The enemy is so afraid, moms and dads and young adults, of a Gideon army raising up out of this generation that he wants you to only see yourself as an unsuccessful whatever. But when the presence of the Lord shows up in the house, he starts saying, oh, son and daughter of God, I knew you before you was ever formed in your mother's womb. Before you ever took that first shot of whiskey. Before you ever took that pill to cope with your mind. Before you ever got a hold of that sexual perversion. Before you ever tried to fill in the blank with a supplement of who I am. I knew who you were. And it's the enemy that comes in. And says, it's not true. Because all you've heard is grandmama's talking about it. You get in a group of people who are grandmas. They will talk your ear off about God. 
They will tell you stories. They will share testimony. You know I'm, you know, we're right, right? We will talk all day long about the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, how I should have done been dead in three different car accidents, but God had something on my life. I already should have been dead. I already should have been dismissed. There, I could give you so many negative testimonies about where I should be today other than right here in a church, but the hand and mercies of God. But there's a generation that have only heard about God. They haven't really felt him yet. They haven't really seen him yet. And when they look at themselves, all they see is these walls around them, fear gripping their heart, anxiety overwhelming their thoughts, depression on their bodies so much that they can't even cope through going to work or going to school or, or starting, starting a career. They can't even cope. They don't even know how to do it. It's in them to do it. They just don't know how because they haven't had a wind of the Holy Spirit to come break off the chaff and the things that they've been carrying for far too long. presence of God gets down in his walled city and there's not even one drop of wine it means he didn't have no great worship music playing he didn't have no pastor screaming in his ear he had the presence of the Lord and what the Lord knew about him before he ever got there he said Oh, you great warrior. Gideon said, what you talking about? I'm going to have to jump ahead because I can't leave you hanging. If you continue reading, it says that the spirit of the Lord says, go in the strength because I've given the Midianites into your hand. So he goes through this whole thing about doing a fleece. God, if you're really saying it, do this. If you really mean it, do this. God does all that because God says, I will wait patiently for you. And then he finally gets the word of the Lord to go. And the first thing, I can't get into the good part of him defeating the Midianite army. But let me tell you this. The first thing, the first thing that he gets instructed to do, and there was a, there was a test of his obedience, if you will. Gideon, the first thing you got to do is, you know, that altar over there where they're sacrificing to Baal? You know that Asherah pole over there where they're trying to make all religions one? Because that's what the Asherah pole was all about. It was whatever God you served, you come and you carved it on that wooden pole, wrote his little name on there, and they tried to emerge all the quote-unquote gods. They set up a altar to Baal, and that's where they would do the sacrifice, and they would set up this Asherah pole right here so that nobody would be offended, so that everybody could worship their own God, and all 
all partake together. That's happening now. There's parts of the United States that's happening right now. The presence of the Lord said, Gideon, I know you don't know the Torah and you've only heard about me. But if you will one time just trust me, if you'll just trust me one time, you'll see my hand move on your life. And his first test of obedience was tear down the altar of false worship. Tear down the altar of false worship. Tear down the altar of false worship. That's why you're starting to see some of the false worship be unveiled because God is done with it. And he is calling different people called the spirit of Gideon to tear down, not people, not people, but tear down the altar of false worship. (sighs) Gideon was like, God, I'll do it. But this is so bad. I can't do this in the daytime. I got to do it in the night. He said, if you'll permit me to do it at night, I'll do it. If I do it in the daytime, they're going to kill me, God. God said, you can do it at night. Gideon goes and gets 10 men, y'all. 10 men. Think about this. 10 men. Men. We're not talking about little seven-year-old boys. We're talking about 10 men. And it took Ten men plus Gideon all night long to tear down one altar and one Asherah pole. How deeply rooted was that altar and that Asherah pole that it took ten men more than eight hours to get rid of it. The breaking dawn of the day comes. They come out. What happened to our altar? What happened? Lacey, if you wouldn't mind, get ready or play music, whichever one you're going to do. What happened to our altar? They said, you know that guy Gideon? Yeah, he has, he has some men at night. and that He did this. Hold on. And the people, moms and dads, hold on to your seat. If you're over the age of 40 in here or 35 in here, hold on to your seats. Hold on to your seats. You have a Gideon army rising up, tearing down false idol worship. And when the light of day came, it was the same people that was talking about the miracles of God of yesterday is the ones that got angry today and said, I, I forgot, I forgot uh, Gideon's father's name, called him by name and said, get your boy, we're going to kill him. It was the same people that was saying, ooh, if you had been a part of my generation and seen God move, ooh, I heard some stories. I could tell you about me. It's the same generation that was calling God faithful when it came to the light of day, was shook to their core 
because they got a hold of the real God. And they were angry. Young adults, when you start getting a hold of God, you start tearing down some things. Let me tell you, there's going to be some adults in your life you're going to take out there. They don't know it's an idol. I, I don't want you to go around and be accusatory of it because they don't know. But I'm telling you, that's why they get so angry at you because they don't know that they have an idol in their life. They don't know they have an idol until it comes down. You want to know if we have an idol in our life? Let us have a storm and the Wi-Fi go off. people going into full-out meltdown because we have an idol called Wi-Fi. And we are so good about looking at that generation and saying, blah, 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 blah. And we don't even realize we have idols and we have altars because if Lacey don't sing my song, this is just trash worship. If we don't get out at a certain time, well, we never did it like this. I remember the day they used to lay hands on us. Now they expect us to pray our own prayers. We'd have, we have idols. Stand with me. I kept you a little bit.